you have a Bible, I want to uh, invite you to grab one. Uh, James chapter 1, verse number 18 through 21. I, I kind of touched on verse 18 a little bit last week. And uh, I was going to just go uh, finish the chapter out today, but y'all know, y'all should know better than that uh, because I like to take my time in the Word of God. And uh, what would be a typical, maybe a two month series in a five chapter uh, book of the Bible, uh, I'll make it into a two year uh, uh, series and show you. Uh, okay, I hear that. Somebody using those big words out there. James chapter 1, verse number 18. And hear the word of the living God. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So just one more time, let's uh, pray over the reading of God's holy word. So Father, again, we say thank you uh, for your word, the word of truth. As we have just read about, uh, I pray, God, that we would uh, see you rightly through this word and give us ears to hear and a heart to receive and minds to comprehend what you have for us so that we could all collectively say in agreement how glorious and gracious is our King Jesus. Be mighty to save in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, James is writing to some believers. Uh, we know this from... Chapter 2, verse 1, uh, when he says, my, my brothers or my brothers or sisters, this uses, we use that synonymously in this case as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this immediately distinguishes for us his, his uh, readers from unbelievers. And whenever we come to this word, believer, what it ought to do for, for some of us is confront us with the question, Am I a believer in Jesus Christ? Am I a believer in Jesus Christ? In other words, may I legitimately be able to read uh, James here and find myself included in that company of believers, in that company of those whom James writes. And so uh, if you feel a little bit on the outside, I'll just encourage you this morning, and maybe you're not a believer. I can't assume everybody in this room is a believer, but maybe you're not. I would, I would just encourage you to, to understand that uh, when James writes this letter to believers, at one point or another, they were not believers. And so at one point, they came to the knowledge of Christ as their Lord and King. Um, in fact, what we ought to understand is that if that's the case, at one point they were, they were alienated, as Colossians would say, Paul would say in Colossians, that they were outside of the fold. They weren't a part of the capital C church, the family of God, the called out and sent out ones. In fact, what Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, and, and this is uh, offensive for some of us who aren't believers, that, that you were dead 
spiritually. You were dead spiritually. This is what's being confronted to us in the text. In fact, I love how the NIV puts this verse 18 of his own will that he brought, uh, that he gave birth to us. That we, he has been, we have been given birth to and out of the word of truth. And so you have to look at yourself through the lens of, of this picture. On, on one side, you are either dead in your sins or on the other side, if you are a believer, a part of the company of Christ, then you have been born again. You have been, you have been, he chose to give us new birth. Now, I got three things because I know our kids in here and their attention span is greater than your attention span. So I'll do you a favor and be as quick as I can and just give you three points and be as Baptist as I can to give you these three points. The, the three things that I want to look at in this text is the initiative uh, work that God takes, the initiative work that God takes, the instrument God uses and the atten- intention that God has for us. So the initiative that God takes. Now, if you haven't noticed by now that this is a message of the gospel, like this is a view of what we would call in scholarly terms, soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. What happens when I am saved? What does that look like through the process of salvation? And, and we've, we've, we've bypassed this verse so many times. I know I have. And we love that verse, you know, don't, it, or, or at least we love quoting it to others. The verse that says, um, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, you know, because that didn't apply to me personally. It applies to you. Because I, I am very slow to speak, you know, we, we by, but we've bypassed verse 18 and we've missed this beautiful picture of the doctrine of salvation at work in the links that God went through to have us as a part of his family. So in that, we have this initiative that God takes to get us. Again, I'm going to just cross-reference back to the NIV. I rarely do, but I love how the NIV puts this in that it's he chose to give us birth. Notice that language. Even in the ESV, he chose to bring us forth. I love that so much, that he chose to bring us forth forth or to give us birth. Now, if that rings a bell to any of you, if you've, you've been paying attention to your Bible, you've been reading through the gospels, particularly this story of the gospel of John, this should remind you of, of a story in John chapter three, when we get the infamous verse for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Prior to that, what's happening? Y'all remember little Nicodemus comes to Jesus at nighttime and he asked Jesus these these, these pestering questions that are, that are haunting his soul. Like there's not, like you cannot be sent of God, like in, to be doing the works that you've been doing, Jesus. Tell me, like, what is this? What, how can I be saved? What does this mean? How can I be a part of the fold of God? And Jesus gives him, very similar language. In fact, it's almost like James is just taking a play out of the playbook of Jesus here. When Jesus tells Nicodemus that in order for you to experience new life, what have you got to do? You have to be born again. And Nicodemus uh, expresses his concern rightly. 
as we all should express the same concern. I don't think it's biologically possible. Sorry for all of you children and parents. You'll have to go explain that to your children. It is biologically impossible for me to be born again. Jesus wasn't talking about his physical rebirth. What was Jesus talking about? He was giving an indictment to his soul. Outside of me, you are dead in your sins. And in order to receive the kingdom of God, what have you got to do? You must be born again. The spiritual rebirth. And I have to ask you, that: is that your story? Have you been spiritually reborn and now a part of the family of God? When you read through the Bible, this is not a shock to you. Or it shouldn't be a shock to you. The idea of being reborn, the idea of uh, being made new, or the idea of being spiritually brand new. This is nothing of a surprise to us, or it shouldn't be a surprise to us if you're a sensible person, been reading through your Bible. This isn't been tucked into the corners as some kind of like unlocked mystery of the Da Vinci Code that in order for us to unlock it, we've got to unravel all of these codes in order to figure out how do we become saved. No, it's pretty clear and simple. It's plain and it's right here in front of us. And this, says James in verse number 18, is something that God has chosen to do to give you birth. You have been chosen Think about that right now. For my fellows who, who love to navel gaze, y'all know what navel gazing is, right? You Eeyore. Well, nobody, I don't know how God could ever love me. I don't know how God would you. Why? Well, isn't this glorious news for you? That you weren't the one that chose God? That God in your shame and in your sin saw past all of that and he chose you and he chose you to be born again. Isn't that glorious news for some of you? That outside of my own workings, that inside of my sin, that before the foundations of the earth, God in his sovereign will chose me and caused me to be born Again, I don't remember who says this, but it's about like the conversation between the dad and the son. If you remember the story, his son says to his dad, I didn't ask to be born. And the father says back to the son, no, and if you would have asked, I would have said no. probably what I've told my children. That's the reason why that story is so familiar to me. And from a, from a physical sense, you weren't asked to be born. No, it took a working of your biological parents to cause this. And in a spiritual sense, there too lies that our spiritual father chose to give us birth in him at the initiative love of Jesus Christ. Those of us who remember um, becoming Christians will remember that whatever it was that led us to faith in Jesus, you know, the person told us the things that we're supposed to do. 
All right? And there's nothing wrong with this, but you are to repent of your sins. You are to receive the free gift, right? And, and yes, you are to do those things. You, and this is what I preached on for three years out of the Gospel of Mark, to, to repent of your sins, to receive the King, to receive Christ as your Lord. But upon further review, we look through the Scriptures and we look at this, what James is implying to us and what other writers in the New Testament implies to us that the, our Christian faith did not rely on a reaction to an invitation, but relied on the initiating gracious love of a sovereign God who would choose us to be born again. But on the other side of that, he didn't believe for us. No, it was us who believed. It is why in John, First uh, John chapter 4, uh, John writes that we love because why? He first loved us. It is the initiative that God takes in order for us to be a part of of the fold of God. That's the first thing. The, the second thing is the instrument that God uses. So the, the, uh, the initiative that God makes is that he chose us and that he, gives, he, he, he makes us alive. He, he brings us, as, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, brings us from, from death to life. And then how is that possible what is the instrument? What does God use in order for that to be accomplished? Well, he, he says it pretty explicitly in James chapter 8, 1 and 18 and 19. It's the word of truth. That's it. That's the instrument that was used in order for you to be captivated, in order for you to stretch out your hand in faith and receive being born again. It was you heard the word of truth. Now what is the word of truth? The word of truth. It doesn't take someone to study Greek or Hebrew to understand that. It's the gospel. It's the instrument that God uses, the word of truth, that he chose to give us new birth through this instrument, the word of of truth. It is an incredible tale of God saving his people and using people to proclaim the word of truth in order that they might hear the word of truth so that they could be saved. It is an incredible partnership that God has bestowed upon us that we are to still continuously proclaim the word of truth. And the Bible, of course, tells us that we know something of God because he has revealed himself through his creation. We can know this truth. We can know this word of truth. And so for the skeptic, they, have, they are without excuse, right? They can know the truth because everywhere you see, you can see God. You can see God in his creation. You can even see God in the moral uh, um, the, the moral attitudes of people. Well, then how do I know what is right? 
Well, I know what is right because I, I, I could see that God was at work defining what is right and what is good. So it's not like the word of truth is being hidden from people. It is to say what Romans would for those who cannot see the word of truth. It is because they have been given over to a debased, a darkened, a depraved heart. And that answers the question, then why then aren't some saved? Why then can't people just hear this truth? Why then are there still people who are incredibly hostile to the message of God? It's pretty plain and simple. They followed after the lust of their hearts, the sins of their heart. They've rejected God. They've rejected the truth of the word for the lies of the world. That's explicitly from Romans chapter 1. And because of that, their hearts were turned over to the depravity of their thinking. So you got that neighbor that's just annoying and will just reject. I'm not talking about the person sitting beside you. The person that is constantly rejecting the truth, hostile to the truth. Maybe there's an explanation for it. Or maybe there is still opportunity for that person to receive the truth. That's not for you to decide. Your job is this proclamation of the word, of the truth, the gospel. It is the awareness that, that when we have brought, been brought into this awareness of what Christ has done, what has Christ done? I'm so glad that you asked that incredible, important question. That he absorbed all of your sin and your shame on the cross. And in turn, for those who receive him, he pours out his righteousness upon you. I, I, that, that is, that's the most glorious truth you could ever rest in. The most glorious truth that you could ever rest in is not in how can I get more in life? And then you discover that whatever you discovered led to an incredible raise. Or it led to the spouse, or it led to the bigger house, and then you're going to be left to wonder, well, is there more? Is there more? And you'll be continuously pursuing after the more. But when you discover Christ and what he has done for you on your behalf, then my friends, you discover that that is all that you need that's why it's the word of truth. This is the initiative that God took that out of our darkness, sin and shame and despair and our loneliness and all of the things that we brought to the table. God looked at us and he chose us and he gave us new birth and new life. How? By the word of God. So what then the question is, what is the intention then that God has for us? And that's the question that we're kind of left with. The initiative that God takes, the instrument that God uses, the word of truth. And then you'll notice in this next verse, the attention. And he intends that we might become like him. That's what the word that we see here that is often used in the Old Testament is this sort of first fruits 
So, so watch this because this is the whole Christian life in three points. God saved us through the word of truth. And now we have become a sort of a first fruits of the harvest that God intends to bring about to his kingdom. And what does that mean? What is that intention? It's almost like this is the expression of our life in gratitude since Christ saved me. So since Christ brought me back to life as a new person, then I now live a life in gratitude towards him. So that's God's intention, that I'm living this sort of first fruits, that this is an honor, that I'm bringing honor to God. I, I like how this is similar, how uh, Pastor Peter writes this. For example, in 1 Peter 23, he says this, and you'll find the parallel striking. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. It's almost like they're corroborating with each other on their sermons and on their letters. Very similar language that they're using. So when we get to verse 19, all right, hang with me now. This is straightforward when he says, listen up, dear brothers, or know this, my brothers and sisters, Take note, listen up. So he then calls them to do three things out of this in relation to the word of truth. This is where this is going to get very good for us. First of all, that we should be listening to it. Secondly, that we should be receiving it. And thirdly, we should be doing the word of truth. Because all of that which you heard... Be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger, get rid of filth. All of that, yes, should be applied to your personal life. But in the context which we see is applied how? Applied when we are studying and when we are listening to the word of truth. So let's... let's take this apart for just a second. Not the clothes, the text. Listening to the word of truth. It's because some of you have, may have some hot breath and it's getting very stifling in here. L listening to the word of truth. Everyone, he says, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I got to be honest with you, that is an incredible, incredibly challenging statement, isn't it? I see some heads nodding, and what I don't see are some other heads that ought to be nodding. Spouses, you could probably save, I'll tell you what, I'll save you a hundred bucks so you don't have to go to your next counseling session. <laughs> you want to avoid an argument? James just gave it to you. Be slow to speak, quick to hear. Slow to anger. Get rid of all the filth in your life. Isn't that fascinating? Now again, I got to just press on us just for a moment. That what are we? What are we listening to? What, what are we? What do we? What, what do we? Got to be so slow to speak and, and quick to hear and and so on and so on. What is that? 
Like I told you, the contact is the word of truth. Now, how would I then, here's the question that I, I bring myself to, how then, why, why would I be uh, slow to speak the word of truth? I'll tell you how you ought to be slow to speak the word of truth. Is when you have inserted yourself in the Bible as the point, or when you make secondary things primary things. Now, I, I feel some of your cunning eyes shooting darts at me, but if I could just press on myself, press on you for just a moment, perhaps maybe just kick us in the shins a little bit, this is how this applies to a lot of us. We have heavy opinions about the secondary things that if I can just press on you, yes, it matters, but in the scope of eternity, you may be wrong. Think about the, the, the idea of eschatology. Oh, well, it has to be this way. Premillennialism has to be the way. Postmillennialism has to be the way. At one point, it sounded like I was just speaking in tongues. And so it just seems like we are very opinionated. And so you will not shut your mouth and you ostracize people because of your heavy opinions. That's what you've been known for. And nobody wants to talk to you because they know exactly what you're going to say to them. You're going to bring up some secondary thing. Now, whether you are pre-trib, post-trib, I don't care trib. I don't. I really don't. Because is that salvific in nature? And here's the, the answer. No, it's not. Jesus looks at the man on the cross. Well, I tell you what, you can come in, but you first got to tell me the riddle of Revelation that hasn't even been written yet. Can you decipher the code of Daniel chapter 7? Can you decipher through Ezekiel chapter 38? And if you cannot exegete that properly, then you will not be allowed in my kingdom. Could you have imagined the look on that guy's face? He'd be like, I don't think I want to go anymore. Who would? And you have presented challenges to people that have become barriers for them. And I tell you what, this church will not be founded on. A church that is known for all of the secondary things and opinions about them. We're not, we're not, we're not going to be known for that. Man, thank you. Got the, got the three claps. The rest of you will catch on later. But listen, we will be known for our love for the truth of God's word, the gospel. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to exegete this thing as best as I can. If I ever make it to Revelation, I'm going to exegete it to the best of I can. And it, may, and it may rub some of you wrong. Because you may find that I don't agree with some of your agreements. But what I will agree on is the essentials of our faith. And what you've got to be careful with to be, in order to be slow to speak, is perhaps slow down on some of those secondary things that are becoming obstacles for others to receiving the kingdom of God. Oh, free will, predestination, all of these things. Well, you, you got to sign on the dotted line on which one you agree with. Hmm? Man, the first church would be laughing at some of you. Slow to speak. 
quick to hear. It's the saying, I've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. I don't have two mouths. And thank God some of you don't have two mouths because I just wouldn't be able to take it. I'd be like, y'all know, have you ever tried that church down the road? Because maybe that's for you. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, just thank God that's not the case. I would never say that because I love all of you. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so, so we have this. How do you listen? How do you listen? That's the question that's being asked then. How do I listen? I, I listen with the intention of my heart that I want to receive the word of truth. That's how I listen. I wonder how have you been listening to the word of truth lately? And instead of listening to all of these things, all of what's happening in the world, and, and, and it's taking you off course to listening to the word of God. Asking for discernment from the Holy Spirit. And then he says, receiving the word. And this is the last one. I'll, I'll, I'll get to doing the word next week because I'm almost out of time. Receiving the word. So we have listening to it, receiving it. And, and, and we'll, we'll finish with this. How are we going to listen to God's word if we're always talking? How are we going to listen to God's word if what James presents to us, if there's anger in our heart? How are you going to listen to it? How would you listen to me if you're angry at me? You're not going to listen to me. How are you going to listen to anything, to God's word if there's anger? That's why James put a check, a check right here. You can't listen to God's word if there's anger in your heart towards God or if there's anger in your heart towards the guy who's preaching or the guy who's talking about the word of God. So you've got to check that in your heart. And then you've got to check this and notice what he says. The next thing. Do away with filthiness in your heart. You're, you're coming to the word of God with all this filth and all these things that don't belong there. And James says, listen, check that at the door. Get rid of it. Notice I love that he doesn't say, just pray about it. You know, I know you've been dealing with some sin situations, so just pray about it. Said nobody ever. Get rid of it. That's what he says. That's why he was talking just a few weeks ago about temptation. God's not the one who's tempting you. Recognize that Satan's the one that's tempting you with all this filth. Get rid of it now. And this is what the, the old historian would say. Kill the sin or the sin will be killing you. Get rid of it. And then you can be in that posture of your heart to really be able to hear and listen and receive the word of God. Now listen, I'm not saying that there's, you know, there's going to be challenges in your life. There's going to be sin in your life. And, I, and I'm not saying like, like you're going to just live like this wholesome, perfect person, you know, walking on cloud nine all the time. And, you know, like I said last week, I hope this isn't your story that you got Chris Tomlin in the back of your head. And, you know, that'd be a terrible person to have in the back of your head. But like, you know, it's just, that's not the mark of the Christian life. This is the declarative that James is continuously going to be attacking for us on our behalf. There's sin. Get rid of it. There's temptation. Recognize it's not from God. It's from the devil. Get rid of it. He doesn't say play around with it. He doesn't, for, he doesn't say, well, you know, it's, if that's the truth that, that you want to live in, if that's the sin, then you just go live your truth, boo-boo. And I tell you what, that's the... Um, that's the path 
that many churches are going, going down. Well, we're not going to confront the sin. Instead, we'll just tell you to live your truth because we don't want to offend anyone. No, if there's a sin in your life, James says there's urgency here. You have to get rid of it. Why? Because you want to be able to receive all that God has. Receive the word of truth. The filth, get rid of it. You know, it's kind of like when you're, if you're a kid, like right before dinner, they go and like, they go, especially like now, like Halloween's upon us. And I don't, I don't really know where, you're, you know, it's candy people, okay? If you get all the candy and, you know, if you don't want to participate, you can get the candy and bring it to my house, okay? And so here's what's going to happen. If they get the candy, they're going to put it in a bowl and we're going to hide it in the pantry. But then them little sorry jokers are going to go straight to the candy without asking and then go invade it. When? Before dinner. Well, I, it's dinner time. Well, I'm not hungry. Well, why aren't you hungry? Well, I mean, you know, the, the temptation of, of the, uh, the chocolate and the Snickers and, and whatever your poison is, that you ins- the chemicals that you insert in your body is their poison. And so whatever that is that you are uh, gorging out on. And so now I can't receive what I, what the, the good nutrients that God has for me because I've been gorging out on all of the bad stuff. And I use that example lightly, but that's exactly what some of us do. We're filling our minds with filth. And then when the, the word of truth is presented to us, we're, there's just too much agitation in our soul. Well, I'm already full. But what are you full of? filth. Things that are not true. And here the, 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 the warning that James gives to you. You got to come to him. Get rid of that stuff in your life and receive the word of truth. So here's what's happening. God has planted the seed with the word of truth. And some of you, maybe the, 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 the soil, it's not the seed that's been planted. It's the soil. It's either too acidic or it's too rocky or it's too weedy, like these demonic weeds in Utah that cuts your body up when you just walk through them. And, 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 and it's not the seed, but it's the soil. But how do I receive it? Well, well you come to him and you get rid of it. With faith. That's how you receive the word that saves us. Saves us from what? From yourself. Saves you from what? From shame, from sin. And saves you into what? Into Christ. Saves you into his glorious light. It's the old song that we used to sing in, in children. I would ask you to ask your parents about this song and the parents will thank me later. I promise that's not true. Read your Bible every day and you'll... Oh, nobody went to Sunday school when they were a kid. You'll grow, grow, grow. Y'all remember that song? Nobody remembers that song. Man, I lived an ostracized life. 
Like I was like in a cage or something. Like there was something wrong with me. I need therapy. That's what it is. Read your Bible every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Read your Bible every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. As cheesy as it is, there's so much truth rooted in that cheesy little children's song. Read your Bible and you'll grow, grow, grow. Grow.